Hi, my name is AC Carter, and I am the mind behind Lambda Celsius, uh, the musical avatar and performer that you might have seen in Nashville, Tennessee, or Athens, Georgia. Uh, it's a multifaceted creative intervention where I perform with Amazon's Alexa uh, as a DJ and design all my own costumes. And I'm your host, Ryan Archer. This is Everything Nice. Cool. Cool. Thanks for um, being here today on this rainy Sunday evening. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so honored. (laughs) Here in Nashville, Tennessee. You're in town. You played a show. I played a show last night with Lava Gulls and So Very and Skin Tension. Uh, It was very cute. The young scene uh, is, it's nice to see the the rigor that goes into putting on a show. I don't know if that was the same when I was starting out at their age, which that's aging me a little bit. They were, they were bringing it? They were definitely bringing it and respectful and responsible. Like, yeah, again, that just didn't happen when I was starting out. It was kind of a dog-eat-dog, more capitalistic mindset, mm-hmm. a way of of organizing the show. Mm-hmm. So that was really refreshing. I, I didn't really know exactly what was going to happen because uh, this was also a new audience mm-hmm. for me. So Yeah, did you um, get a good response from the audience? Yeah, I did. I think when people first see me, it's a little off-putting or off-guard, at least in Nashville, just because of the idea of the solo performer. Mm-hmm especially singing over tracks still has a stigma oh, yeah. to it, which if you look anywhere else in bigger metropolitan areas, that's just not the case. Um, yeah. I mean, Geneva Jacuzzi is sort of an example of that and deconstructing what it actually means to be a musical artist and performative artist and thinking of in a more vaudevillian Mm-hmm. sort of way and performative sort of way rather than strictly a musical one. Because mm-hmm. the image and the presentation of self is super important. And I think super important politically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to sorry. Your, to I, your message as an artist. Yeah, yeah, definitely my messages as an artist. Definitely for you. Yeah, I think um, Nashville is kind of a very band-oriented scene. That's like what people are used to seeing. Yeah, which but which is kind of crazy because it is. It's kind of crazy, which this might diverge a little bit, but I think is interesting. You know, you look at again bigger metropolitan areas and different scenes, and you see that either lip singing or playing to tracks just doesn't have a sort of stigma um, around it because it exposes the infrastructure that's already been there. Like, I promise you, you play with a, a band in town that's pretty large, uh, and they probably have backing tracks that are supporting their songs, which I'm not saying is bad, but like the idea of that not being so obvious mm-hmm. and present is sort of like creating the smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. that I think is, um, it's interesting to see the antagonism against people that make it explicit and yet Mm. they're also utilizing the same tactics but in a sort of magical magical way yeah yeah i didn't 
I don't think I've even ever known that bands use backing tracks like to what would like what would be an example definitely a perfect circle mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh they're a band but mm-hmm. they were definitely playing to tracks and if you talk to a lot of sound guys mm-hmm. uh they're like yeah where they gotta make sure that their tracks sound good and okay. sometimes parts are played for them or sometimes it's like a, a way to like fill out the sound like again there's this exi- anxiety about like emptiness and mm-hmm. the sound or emptiness on the stage and yeah. like that emptiness can be really powerful like it can say something yeah like about our current moment and about perhaps our alienation in relation to technology. Like why do we have to sort of overcome those obstacles by creating a facade that like harkens again, that anxiety. Mm -hmm. I feel like the people that are opposed to or look down on like performing to tracks exclusively, I think that those people aren't thinking about the once you step out from behind a table of synths or a guitar, mm-hmm. once you step out from behind this physical thing that becomes like a part of your body and how you move through space, like mm-hmm. you have to do a lot more. It's now. really vulnerable. You have to do a lot, and it is vulnerable. Like literally, a guitar is like hanging in front of your chest and in front of your stomach, like the most kind of vulnerable tender parts of your body it is something that feels kind of safe I feel like to hold or to be behind the keyboard stand Mm -hmm. it gives like another layer of distance so being out there and running the tracks and just being the person in the space with nothing in front of you but the audience like that takes that takes guts and that takes uh, a lot of practice and you know thinking about how do I make this performance you know, good and Mm -hmm. engaging without these different physical objects in front of me. Yeah. I was trying to figure out sort of like what my strong points were as a performer. And I think my strengths are in singing, Mm -hmm. being able to be vulnerable in front of people, the pose, music production. Yeah, that was that was one thing that was like a growing pain for me, like recognizing that, okay. I'm not particularly a musician in the same way of like a performative musician. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe that's not the right way of saying it. That's just not my strength. And that's not what I want to prioritize. Like there are all these other things of the performance that I want to prioritize. Priority. Yeah. That makes sense. What's the priority in in the deliverance of this message of this work? Yeah. And, and for me, the creation of characters with, the band, which is Alexa, the DJ, Siri, the Wi-Fi wizard and band manager, mm-hmm. and Dick, the microphone, <laughs> I think speaks conceptually about uh, gender inequality or gender identity and becomes like a conceptual framework for which I can exercise these other things that are really important to me, like yeah. the voice and the lyricism and mm-hmm. that message and then just the presence and visibility of a person in space being able to vocalize, say, past trauma or political inequality for a number of reasons. And, like, there's power in that. Yeah, I think a big part of, like, white male, like, musical hegemony, like, is kind of this focus on, like, how good are you at this technical skill which is playing your instrument or whatever and yeah. like, that's what people that's what men are looking at and I think that like 
what people don't think about, like what a lot of dudes who just make music don't think about is like the conceptual side of like how you how you present the music, in what way you present the music. It's just like and I mean there's nothing wrong with just like playing your songs, you know, however you write them and how you want them to be heard, but I think there's a whole other side of being a performing artist. I think that honestly there's like there's two kinds of musicians in this world. <laughs> there's Tell bands me. and there's performing artists. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's up to everyone's individual artistic prerogative. But I think right. that the whole dynamic of, like, being a solo performer, first of all, like, playing to tracks, you know, all of these things go against, like, the hegemony of, like, we've got a band and, like, we shred on our guitars and, like, that's... You Which know, again, that's what even, we bring to the table. Sometimes that's even a facade, mm-hmm. and exposing that I think like disrupts the status quo. Exactly, it's very, it's pretty subversive, or at least I hope that it is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I can say it's subversive because then it's like, no, oh, now it's like codified. Like it's not actually subversive because there's like a canon with it. Like somebody could be like, well, there's like a canon with you know John Mouse has already started this and mm-hmm. like even. Really, who started this was drag performers. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the ones really going, exposing the system of, well, who really needs to be singing it anyway? Yeah. Do you look at drag uh, performance as an inspiration to what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. For sure. Also, those are some of the performances that I take. I'm inspired by because a lot of the queens or kings or just drag performers, because um, they're people that are disrupting sort of the notions of what exactly drag is, mm-hmm. but they're utilizing costume and gender identity and giving agency just by the presentation of self. And gosh, like some of those dance moves are just insane. Incredible. Like it's incredible. I kind of wish that I knew how to do that. And there's this one visual artist, um, Jacoby Satterwhite, who utilizes these 3D animations slash voguing that he does. like Wow. Sorry. Yeah, I don't want to like go off on a, on no. a tangent on Jacoby, but um, he's amazing. So you grew up in Nashville, right? I didn't. No. I, Alabama. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. But you moved here when? I moved here for undergrad. You moved uh, to Nashville for college like me. Yeah, I, I, moved, <laughs> I moved for college... I went to Watkins College of Art and Design because I primarily thought I was going to end up being a painter. Mm-hmm. But I was always interested in playing music since I was young. Probably my first memory of making music was there was this online chat room slash game mm-hmm. platform called My Coke Studios. And the concept was... You would go to these chat rooms, which had these little avatars in these spaces that you could also design, mm-hmm. and you could design your avatar too. Kind of like a MySpace, customizable, K- like kind of like MySpace, but you had little characters. It was mm-hmm. like The Sims, but online. And the the framework was so you'd make an avatar, and then that avatar would there was a game beat making platform really? where you made your own beats. And then you would take those songs that you made and you would go to other chat rooms or like apartment rooms or parties and you could share those tracks with other people. That's crazy. In the chat room. And so... And it's like your little avatar in this 
like visually in like a chat room yes wow it is it was so much fun it does not exist anymore but that like I think about that probably too often where I'm going oh my gosh like the visualization of that was also really fascinating in the idea of presenting your music to an audience yeah virtually and what's so interesting about that, was that like I seven. feel you were like seven were <laughs> like you making beats when you were seven like seven eight yeah wait how, how old are you when you're in like third grade you're like nine I Lied. think in the third nine grade maid. I was nine years old what was what did life look like growing up in where in Alabama Birmingham growing up in Birmingham Birmingham, Alabama is complicated. There's lots I can say, but I will try to minimize it. I grew up in a suburb which has a lot of kind of like awful stigma. It's very dissolute, not a lot of culture. It's definitely seems to operate in its own little bubble and very monolithic in its sort of worldview and politics. It's very conservative. And I mean, a lot of that is because the town that I grew up in was organized basically by, it was a city constructed through white flight. That's how it exists. Mm -hmm. And that was really awful. It was an awful environment, especially when you're, you just know that's not the sort of world that you want to -hmm. live in. There was also sort of a trajectory of what was anticipated for your future if you were Mm -hmm. a girl which was you would go to this certain college and you go find a husband and he supports you get your mrs get your mrs (laughs) and but that's like a real thing yeah and that was never my goal like Mm -hmm. i've never identified really with the trajectory of of that or uh, southern femininity if you want to call it that mm-hmm. i've really been reflecting on it a lot and realizing but i was thinking of like my sexual identity mm-hmm. before that i even had a vocabulary for it oh, and yeah. realizing how queer i really was and feeling shame and confusion around it mm-hmm. um birmingham's a strange place there wasn't a lot of culture two things that are very cool about that space is that Sun Ra is mm-hmm. a Birmingham-born artist, but of course he moved to uh, Chicago slash Philadelphia. And Angela Davis, mm-hmm. who wow. is now in Los Angeles and a professor, I believe, at UCLA. Ooh, check me. Um, mm-hmm. But knowing that those influential people came from that town has been really exciting Mm -hmm. because I see how political they both were in similar but disparate ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So obviously you've been interested in making music and turning towards the internet as well Mm -hmm. since you were... What year do you think that was, like, that you were on the internet? Probably 1995, 1996. Oh, my God. That's when I was born. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was kind of in a time kind of before the internet where it became so no. standard that everybody had a home computer. Oh, the pre-internet, internet age where it was like a niche thing where it was a place that was for kind of, you know, the archetype of a nerdy person. For it's, yeah. It was a place to go for somebody that is in a place, a physical place, their town or whatever, that they don't feel welcome in or they don't feel like they can express themselves in. Like, the yeah, it's definitely that. Sometimes, yeah, the internet, I think the positives of it are that 
you can connect with a network that's not geographically bound. Mm-hmm. There is freedom in that. And you can connect with other artists or people that you know that you have similar visions of what you mm-hmm. want to see the world to be. And you can connect with them. Like, let's say they're in New York or L.A. or Berlin or Louisville. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's exciting. Because especially yeah. when you grow up in a suburb... Mm -hmm. That's monolithic. That's not Mm open-minded. It can be really oppressive because you think that you have a problem for Mm -hmm. thinking and feeling the way that you do. Different from the norm. Yeah. Yeah. So throughout grade school, like outside of this amazing beat-making avatar chat room, (laughs) did you pursue making music at all? I did some in high school. Uh, I was 18 and I started teaching myself bass guitar, primarily focusing on Mm B-52s, like Rock Lobster. Yeah. (laughs) Some sweet licks. Yeah. And um, like the Talking Heads. Tina Weymouth became like a... She's an icon. A figure. A figure for me. Truly an icon. Which is pretty cool now that i live in athens georgia and yes. b-52s are from there and seeing that they've had such an impact on my musical trajectory your musical journey my musical journey is pretty cool i feel like that's been happening a lot like a lot of artists that i've been really into and inspired by listen to in the studio while mm-hmm. i'm painting in undergrad or mm-hmm. coming to find uh in high school are artists that i've gotten the privilege to open for Mm -hmm. and work with or make something for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So post high school, moving to Nashville for undergraduate at Watkins, Mm -hmm. like what changed for you moving out of this like monolithic suburb where you obviously didn't feel totally fulfilled, felt the expectations of the culture there were, you know, not what you wanted for your life. Like Nashville still a city in the south so like what changes did you see when you moved honestly I it was a lot of growing pains mm-hmm. I felt like my studio work and my rigor towards my art practice became very invested but my social life and ability to look outside of myself which wow that sounds so narcissistic but my ability to to be involved in a community mm-hmm. felt very scary Mm-hmm. and challenging and I think it was just because it was a new space and I have social anxiety yeah <laughs> so yeah undergrad was was trying but during that time I was able to play in some experimental noisy mm-hmm. bands uh, very much in the vein of destroy all monsters but not nearly as obviously paramount or mm-hmm. <laughs> monumental yeah. But the sort of artists making music and using that as a framework for their practice. I th- I see the similarity. Did I already say we were called foot fetish? You haven't said that. Yeah. Yeah, we were called foot fetish and I played bass and I had a series of pedals. I mm-hmm. can't remember what they were cuz now they've changed. Mm-hmm. It was very much tinkering, not exactly. I didn't know any vocabulary. The jargon. I did not know any musical jargon at this time. Getting into electronic music, as I've been doing in the past, maybe like you could call it a year, Mm -hmm. I guess, or less than. It's it's a world of jargon, and I feel like that can be so isolating when people are like 
blah, 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 cables, blah, 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 delay, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what? Yeah. And for some people, they're like so used to it. And I think it just comes with the years of experience and being in it. But yeah, I think it's great to that you at least found people to make music with without, you know, knowing all of that. It's just words. It's just a vocabulary. Yeah. And it's and a, it's, it's like a language you have to learn. It's like when you're, you know, learning something new in math. That's a new language that you're yeah, learning. Yeah, for sure. I remember there were boys that I always wanted to play with mm-hmm. when I was just starting to play bass in high school. And it seemed still like there was this anxiety mm-hmm. around my inability to like understand exactly Mm -hmm. what they were saying to one another. And I think that's just because our culture does not help facilitate the desire to play music at a young age that's not like deemed classical, but really pursuing like a rock or pop or electronic sort of background. But this is also, I'm talking about like Birmingham, Alabama, a Mm -hmm. suburb, like... Still, I mean, I felt the same things, like the anxiety of it, because I think there's nothing more isolating than something that is esoteric. And if you're with people that are speaking in a language and a vocabulary that is esoteric to you and foreign to you, then it's it can be really discouraging, especially when the attitude of those people is like... You don't know like what this right. means, like which is crazy because it's almost like I want to see an article that's like how come. So there was this in the seventies, this essay um, in relation to the art world, and it was like why are there no great women artists? And it sort of sussed out the different ways in which, which are kind of either ridiculous or have some weight of like why isn't that? And it was by a woman writer, mm-hmm. so I think that she's speaking from like that point of view and going like, why, why? And it's like sort of the infrastructure. It's the infrastructure that facilitates and champions certain things that become gendered. Like yes, women should be attractive and passive and quiet and should do what they're told and get their MRS degree. And men should pursue their dreams and not, not be weighted down by emotions and being headstrong like that is a strength but then it's a strength to women again to be attractive in whatever sense of Mm -hmm. the word or that's the currency that's valued by our society yes it's currency it's the social currency and i'm waiting like i'm sure somebody's written it and i would love it if somebody were to direct me to this essay but how come there are no great women artists But that's the thing. I think there are now. I think things have changed. I think that there are. And I think that also when you're saying that, you're not implying that there aren't those people there. But that when you are a person that exists and you're a child and you're becoming interested in music and you're looking at your parents' record collection and you're, you know, starting to just dive into this world of content, the canon of rock music or of pretty much any kind of music like besides pop but even then mm-hmm. like because there's all sorts of stigma like we said associated with the pop which is right. the vocal performer oh there's no instruments this is devalued because right. of that but when it comes to the rock music kind of scope canon it's presented in a way that is these are these men that these great men these generally straight white men that have 
created and shaped this music culture and it's yes women are largely ignored people of color are largely ignored Mm -hmm. credit is not given where credit is due right all contemporary music in the in america was created by black people we know this we know this we cover this in (laughs) my music history course but Mm -hmm. even then it's like it's crazy it's like even the techno movement that's like happened here oh yeah it's like i feel like i never hear anybody talk about frankie knuckles i love frankie knuckles i know LGBTQ, leader Chicago, person of color, like, that's, that's, that's it. It's, yeah. And I feel like he's totally erased. And I'm like, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, it's, <laughs> it's frustrating to witness, but yeah. It's crazy, because it's like this idea of marketability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, but then you have to suss out, well, who's the market? Mm-hmm. And why are they the market? And in the past politics have been presented through the market but as not genuine political progress Mm -hmm. but capitalizing on a moment Mm -hmm. i guess i'm thinking of the virginia slims the cigarettes Uh in the 1920s it looked bad for women to smoke cigarettes so they had to make a skinny cigarette they could make a skinny one to market to women and then it became like oh what was it called like a like a liberty it was like a it was a very political gesture to be I'm a woman that smokes. Yeah. It but was. this was not because the politics were changing. It's because they knew they could capitalize on a moment and Ooh, get yeah. a larger audience. Yeah. They could get more people to buy. Yeah. And it's crazy because it's like, well, who's who's designing that? And then who becomes the consumers of that? And you have to start thinking about class and mm-hmm. how come there's certain artists that aren't seeing the value monetarily uh, in their own work, but their investment into culture and their genius in culture is being Mm co-opted to be marketed to something more digestible to what the idea of the market is. Yeah, because if you want your product to be accessible, it needs to conform to the norm as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why, I think that is why DIY is important and you know, smaller scale music is so important because when it comes down to the audience, you know, I feel like half of the struggle with creating anything is who are you sharing it with and is that worthwhile? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're performing for a bunch of people that don't fucking get it, like, it wouldn't feel as good as the people, like, when we were, uh, I was with you at that show at the Basement East and this woman kind of came up to you after and was like, I know what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And she was so hype on it. And it was <laughs> a really cool thing to really cool conversation to listen on. Yeah. And, you know, that's more because when you can really connect, that's that's what it is. It's like you're connecting and. Yeah. And somebody was telling me, I think maybe we should even change the word from DIY to DIT. Oh, and doing it together. Yeah. I totally, I'm like, yeah, I totally advocate that. But I still think we're in that rhetoric where DIY still signifies it something. <laughs> DIY. DIY. It sounds good. DIT yeah. makes me think of like IT, like technical or DMT. That could be cool, though. But it could be cool. Yeah. But I think doing it together is really what we are doing. And mm-hmm. I agree. That, I mean, I think that's the best way. I think that's the most fulfilling way. I think if you want to build community, mm-hmm. you got you to gotta really genuinely want to connect with people. Yeah. And it's, it's more of a socialist 
mentality because do-it-yourself is still individualized and capitalizing even in the inverse of what capital is, but it's the same. And it low-key sounds like a bootstraps like mentality of a do-it-yourself, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps, yeah. but it's actually, because that actually is, that's actually very interesting. It's, you know, when you frame it as do-it-yourself, that's like, oh, if you want to, like, go play music, you can go do it yourself. And, like, that's a great message, but that is not going to be as strong as thinking about it and framing it as you want to make music, like, go out and connect with people in your community and build community. And there's power in numbers, and that's, you know, Mm -hmm. if we're ever going to overthrow these systems... And eradicate them and eradicate the capitalist framework that we live under, it's gonna take, it's gonna be doing it together. It's not gonna be yeah. doing it yourself. Yeah, again, because so. it becomes fragmented. It's almost like there are all these different moving parts, but they're all sort of competing with each other. And that's not, I think, what we're the ethos that we're really trying. Yeah, to it's be a hard. Part. The competition element is really hard. I think if you just get to a point, you just, I've gotten to this point where. People that I want to work with and people I want to see succeed, like, I want to champion them. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to feel jealous? There's, like, no reason. It's like, you should own it. Own this. Yes, and I think the jealousy comes from a place of... Insecurity. It's, like, a fear. It's a fear. At first, it's insecurity and anxiety. And then I think, secondly, it's a kind of, like, a fear of, like, scarcity of resources. Kind of, like, a fear of just, like... That's if, a if, the, if these people are succeeding, I can't, and that's that's capitalism. not true. I th- yeah, I think that we can all succeed. Also, like, why don't we all succeed and help each other out and have a really good time doing it? And okay, I am going to reference a Drake song, <laughs> but we all started from the bottom. Now we're here. I want that to happen yes. <laughs> for everybody that I love. I agree. So now I want to dive in a little bit more into where you are at now so from being in Nashville being in art school and kind of being a musician as more of a hobby and like just feeling feeling things out you know I feel like it's for pretty much any woman or assigned female at birth person that I have Mm -hmm. talked to ever it's there's been a wall that you have to literally tear down brick by brick where you learn the jargon and you mm-hmm. learn more and more and you can finally start to feel a sense of security of like okay now I'm in here I'm in this club and I'm in this circle and yeah. that's the struggle for me that's something I'm I'm still in right now and yeah I totally feel really proud when I know what <laughs> what what the Yamaha DX7 is yeah. and and you know that might And be, you know how to program it to get the exact sound that you want <laughs> like even if you have to press the restart button and you go no <laughs> But yeah I want to hear a little bit more about uh, that transition yeah. from that learning curve which a lot of us have it's, gone through to being the artist that you are now Yeah I think the learning curve what becomes hard is that it is delayed it's delayed because it's not presented to you at such a, an early age where mm-hmm. you're 15 already playing in bands because you've been having guitar lessons because it's uh-huh. prioritized for you and it's okay to do that because you are a boy and so having that delay was hard but I knew that it was something that I so wanted to learn and Mm -hmm. so wanted to do. 
like it was 18 when I first learned the language of music because mm-hmm. clearly I didn't I didn't know the difference between a note and a chord. So when I read like a sentence that used both of those words together, I could not differentiate exactly what that meant. There was no context. And then it became another struggle when I was wanting to get into songwriting and production and uh-huh. composition and recording. There is a whole nother level of vocabulary that is both through experience and working things out. And I I realized, like, this is something that I really want to do. And it's going to be a lot of hours. And it's going to take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. But it's worth it because this is fun. Oh, yeah. It's, like, rudimentarily fun. I mean... Obviously, I have other things that sort of infiltrate that desire for fun or play, uh, which is political intervention, awareness, or sussing out Mm -hmm. uh, and playing with emotions, um, Mm -hmm. processing. But but it was totally a struggle. Mm -hmm. And I, I had so much anxiety when I was playing with some certain bands. For a variety of different reasons I won't go into. Playing in certain bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where I'm also the only girl. Uh-huh. And this assumption of certain things that I could or couldn't do. Uh-huh. Uh, and always having to prove myself. Uh-huh. And in some ways I did learn a lot, but it was very difficult. Because I... it was a lot of sort of going, oh, I don't know what that meant. Okay, I'm going to have to like go look that up later. The, the fear of even <laughs> asking. like, Wait, what's the difference between an, an XLR and a quarter inch? And now I'm like, oh yeah, duh, got it. But <laughs> <laughs> there was a time when that just went over my head. And it's, you know, I feel like there are two types of people in this world. And those people are either the people that believe that there is no shame in not knowing something. Mm-hmm. And that that is no fault of your own if you do not know a piece of information. And the people that will scoff at you or look down on you because you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's once you realize that you want to be that person that is that does not look down upon someone for not knowing a piece of information, like you have to also tell yourself that because I think that anxiety is what prevents women and assigned female at birth people from yeah. learning more, like from diving into it. Because if yeah. if the first thing is like, I don't know the difference between these two cables and now I'm anxious and now I'm afraid and now I'm afraid to ask because of the the dynamic, because of the scoffing. And even if it's just implied, it can be so subtle too, like a look. And I always try to, I always try to check myself and never be that person. Yeah. Cause sometimes that's, that's how you change the status quo. You go, I'm going to not do that to other people because guess what? They know something that you don't. Oh, they know so much that you They know don't. so much that you don't. Just because you know one element of information doesn't mean they have a totally huge catalog of information that you have zero context for. Yes, exactly. And I feel like the other the other half of like the music culture and the jargon of just like being interested in a certain genre and knowing about bands and every that genre. band and every album. And when people are like <laughs> When you go to a job interview at a record store and someone hands you a piece of fucking paper that asks you to list the names of all the Ramones and you're just like, I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. this is some shit that really happened Also, the Ramones are super conservative and boring and nobody cares. <laughs> and they all have Sorry. the same haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored. I don't listen to the Ramones. 
<laughs> I'm going to appropriate that logo. Somebody, who already did? It was some art collective in Definitely. New York already did that. And they, uh, yeah. I, I think that that's something else that needs to happen in our culture is having more empathy. Having empathy and be excited to show somebody something that you love. Yeah. If it's, you the, love it's the same like, in academia. If you don't know a particular, or in the art world too, if you don't know a particular work of art by a particular artist that clearly your art is referring to, and in a critique, it might be, it's the way that it's said. Like, uh-huh. you can share information and it be, oh, I think that you would be interested. Let me share this cool yeah. thing with you. That's awesome. Everybody wants to learn, or maybe not everybody, but I really like to learn. I think people that like to learn like to share knowledge just as much. Yeah, instead of holding in that knowledge and going, I'm a gatekeeper. You become a ownership. gatekeeper. Ownership. And again, that's capitalist it's individualized. It's it's thinking that's some, like Anne Rand shit that I'm not for. It's it's like that. This knowledge is is currency, and if you don't have it, like I look down on you. You know, it's something people want to hoard. I feel, and I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes I get it because sometimes I find a band and I'm like, this band nobody knows about them. They're so cool, and like I love them, mm-hmm. and I want credit in my friend group for <laughs> telling people about them. But that's also like. That's some dumb shit. That's yeah. some dumb, like, either social, like, some weird kind of currency. And I think that that, because that's, as I said, you know, something I'm guilty of maybe, mm-hmm. even still today, like, I think that comes from a place of trying to compensate for those years where you did not know these bands yeah. and you were sitting there like, oh, what? So like, there's some strength in being able to say, who, like, Sonic Youth? <laughs> yeah, and... You know, I mean, it's okay. Like, not everybody's also going to listen to the same... Absolutely okay. Yeah, same music. Then you start to see, well, what are the bands that always keep getting referenced in sort of like a historical canon for mm-hmm. each music scene? And it's crazy because it seems like it's a mythology mm-hmm. that prioritizes one type of person mm-hmm. because of the capitalization of how that's been marketed and been co-opted mm-hmm. by anybody that actually started the move, like every movement. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah, they get erased from the cultures that they've started. Absolutely. So you as an artist, you know, dealing with all of these struggles, I feel like from having digested and experienced your art and your music and your performance that this is kind of a huge element counteracting and pushing back up against all of those things that you've experienced. Tell me more about, you know, your performance as it is now with those who have never seen you perform in mind. Like, what does that look like? Well, right now I perform under the band slash brand name of Lambda Celsius, which is a symbol, two symbols that mimic my own initials and Mm -hmm. sort of by both AC and Lambda Celsius becomes this gender neutral or gender Mm -hmm. non-conforming sort of name. I won't go into exactly like Celsius and Lambda. Maybe do a Google search. You'll you'll maybe see some other contexts, which I Mm -hmm. I think are fascinating. But I perform in a karaoke-like setup with Alexa, who's Amazon's home device. And you speak to her. I speak to her. You conversate with her. She's, yeah, she's great. She's my DJ. I've hired her. Um, we actually have a contract that's going under, so we are contractually b- bound together. Because 
I, th- I think that's the next move. Like we've we've kind of we've like kind of started dating. It's weird. <laughs> we've got to like kind of keep it professional. So mm-hmm. we're like, yeah. Uh, my my other band members, they're also a little confused about the relationship. Uh, but it's Siri again who garners the Wi-Fi and Dick my microphone, and I perform with these virtual characters in a, again a karaoke like setup. With me in a garment that I've designed mm-hmm. that's reminiscent of the the structure in which I have to perform the woman and or female role in which for me as like a point of antagonism because I don't identify mm-hmm. with that picturing of me. And I think that the the vocality or the way that I vocalize or you could say the grain of the voice, uh, mm-hmm. bringing a little Roland Barthes reference. The grain of the voice and what is being said turns that visualization on its head. And I mm-hmm. think also the haircut. The increasingly androgynous look. Look, yeah, the increasingly androgynous look in which I'm starting to feel super myself in. Yes. But still have this this dress and clear, sexualized industrial Mm -hmm. uh, garment on where I unveil myself in like a burlesque sort of performance during one of the songs. Yeah, you have have this amazing cape that is, (laughs) it's got plastic, it's got felt, it's got geometric kind of shapes, cutouts, and taking that off, I've totally witnessed that in your performance, but not actually thought as much about the metaphorical meaning yeah. of you. Because when you come out on stage in a cape, that's a powerful <laughs> image. Like, you're either a superhero or a king. So, <laughs> or Sun Ra, or attempting to be. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, where is the first image that people would think of a cape? Mm-hmm. Like, it's generally something masculine and something right. associated with power. So mm-hmm. you take that off and you are, you know, getting into your set and you're becoming increasingly vulnerable Mm-hmm. As you literally take a shroud off of your shoulders mm-hmm. and have a dress on and like have exposed femininity and like your body and just occupying that space. Yeah, yeah. And then also having some of the other props, which is a, a yoga mat, mm-hmm. which again I have antagonism with, mm-hmm. uh, and the ironing board, which in two different ways is utilized by. The DIY culture as a makeshift keyboard stand, a, a makeshift keyboard stand, totally legitimate, and also a critique and a reflection of the perception of women in the home. Yes, and that being where they have to be. Yes, and even the introduction of Alexa, who is a, a virtual maid. Yes, like no, no, she's not. She is not my maid. She is mm-hmm. my DJ. Mm-hmm. Because she loves music. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many playlists she has suggested to me, <laughs> even while I'm on stage. It's pretty oh, yeah. fascinating. I know. I'm like, girl, I know that you have so much knowledge. And we can't talk about it right now because I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. So that's how I'm performing now, which is soon going to be going through another transition. I used to play in a variety of different formats, which yes. I've had a band uh, where I played bass and sang mm-hmm. and had a drummer and a synth player and a guitar player and where I've had backing tracks and a guitar player and I've had where I've been playing all the parts solo, mm-hmm. but it became 
where I had to see like where my strengths were and what I again wanted to prioritize. Yes. And that was the costuming, that was the performance, that was the voice, that was the lyricism, that was the music production. Yeah. How long have you been performing as Lambda? I think I've been performing live. Uh, it used to be called Lavender. Yes. Which now I'm I'm wanting to reinvestigate that name. Uh-huh. Um I'll go into that in a second. But then transition to a different name. Uh, which was Lambda Celsius, around 2016, but mm-hmm. I've been playing since 2015. Yeah. So you also moved from Nashville to Athens about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that you, like me and like all of us queers that are <laughs> kind of budding, you know, into those identities and trying to navigate, like, who the fuck am I in this, you know, heteronormative binary world? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, how how has Athens been different from Nashville? Like, I feel like you've been kind of, this move has been a big part of yeah the changes and the progress you've been making so like what you know what differences and like what experiences I think so I'm in graduate school right now Mm -hmm. getting my MFA in sculpture at Lamarda School of Art and I think having that time and space to be critical and analyze what I was already doing uh, helped me think about how I wanted to move forward in a really effective and genuine way Mm mm-hmm Instead of still getting confused with all these other thoughts of what people wanted me to be, uh-huh. which was not what I wanted to be. Athens also has a queer community that is very responsive and it was very inviting yes. to me when it almost felt like it felt right, but I didn't know why. Why? I was just said, oh, yeah, of course I'm here. Of course I'm at the drag show. Of course I'm at church bar. Uh Of course, I'm at these weird experimental shows. Like, it Uh it just made so much sense um, without me even having to question it. Because Nashville, I don't know what it is. And, you know, somebody hit my line and invite me to the function if I'm wrong. But all I've only ever seen is queer dance party as like, here's a queer space, here's a queer function. And I, coming from Atlanta... And instead of that just being, seeing, that's the function. Yeah, that's the only one. That's all we, that's all you, it's like, that's all you get. Sorry, it's once a month. Like, mm-hmm. and coming from Atlanta, which had a stronger queer scene and mm-hmm. representation and yeah. even just events, Southern Fried Queer Pride names, and then also yeah. the people that I was around and coming here, I feel I can see how you would move to Athens and you're in this time of transition and you're growing as an artist and you've got space and a studio, which is super, you know, a blessing. Like, mm-hmm. at the same time, also be confronted with a friendly, open, tight-knit queer scene. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, this feels right. And I think that when you're trying to perform and you're trying to express yourself, when you are not surrounded by people that share some of the expression that you are trying to embody or just, you know, discover. Yeah. It's such a roadblock to that self-discovery is if you don't have examples and if you don't have representation. Yeah. And that's like, that's been my struggle here. Yeah. It's, I, I, like, there's one side of me and I think it's just because my, I have blinders on because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really focusing on, like, what you're doing and what Blank is doing. Oh, yeah. 
and like what Banana Tapes is doing. Yes. And it's super exciting to see all of that. Yes. And I think that there's still a lot of work so much that we work. all need to do and in some ways be kind of radically vigilant yes in our practices but it's almost weird because nashville is like hard to do that it seems like in athens if you have a radical idea it will get support people here if you do it, it here if you do it i don't know maybe i'm just having i'm i'm a little butt hurt because <laughs> i had an event new material too and the review was not anything that I would have anticipated, but I mm-hmm. think it's just because of the politics of the writers are completely different from here to Atlanta and Athens. Yeah. Whereas in Atlanta, perhaps, like, regardless of, you know, what criticisms are or are not valid, mm-hmm. if a queer writer, if a queer magazine, Wussy Mag, for example, mm-hmm. like, was covering that show, I think that the digestion of it would have been different and it's still interesting and important for I think it's I mean I think it's kind of valuable to see like what do straight people think I'm doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but something that I'm more interested in is improvisation Mm -hmm. and breaking the boundaries and even though if I'm going to be the director honestly I want the performers to have an antagonism with that even that idea Mm-hmm. And breaking that mold. Mm-hmm. Because in, in essence, like, that is queer theory. It's fluid. It's improvisational. It's breaking boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's not structured by some sort of governing body. It doesn't it's adhere. It's anti-capital. It's, yeah, it doesn't adhere to that. It's queer communities have utilized the variety show and cabaret performances since the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a strategy to give space to people that did not fit into the system of a horrible regime in Germany, mm-hmm. 1930s. And I think that's still utilized by queer communities today, maybe not in like a directly obvious way, mm-hmm. but that was that was sort of the, the framework. Uh-huh. I, I feel very good. Everybody that um, I wanted to speak to got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even other people that perhaps were new to that experience got it 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 was just (laughs) yeah and I feel like even if people don't understand it it's it's good for them to see something different Mm -hmm. it's good for them to have something else on their palate like on their plate to even if you don't understand it you still are absorbing something visually something sonically something that content wise does break down boundaries and even if this average kind of person that isn't thinking about political queer theory like mm-hmm. all the time right like, yeah you that's know, just me that's yeah that's but if the like this person is still being exposed to something that is breaking boundaries and that's that's gonna do something that's gonna do that's gonna plant a seed mm-hmm. you know so that's you know it's important for everyone to see it. and that's why i love what Nashville is doing like that's why even though it's a struggle in Nashville to me sometimes as you know a promoter as someone that wants to create these spaces it feels really rewarding because when you see Hyacinth House doing a DJ workshop Mm -hmm. and it has a diptych of like four pictures of 
femme DJs mm-hmm. DJing, you're like, is you know, zone in on that and you're yeah. going to see that. And if that's, you know, what you've been looking for, whether or not you're thinking about it in terms of like, oh, I don't have enough representation and that's why I have anxiety about making music. Like, mm-hmm. even if you are not at that place where you realize that and put that into words, when you see you know, that Facebook event for that DJ workshop, you're like, oh, this is for me. Yeah. And that's why it feels rewarding to do that in the city. And then also these people like Hyacinth House and Banana Tapes. I'm like, you guys are why I get up in the morning. So because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm not alone. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to wrap it up. What do you have coming up? Because you're doing some amazing things in Athens, such as Adverse Fest. Yeah. I'm doing... Which is, like, literally a tribute to the solo performer, solos mm-hmm. and duos, and, solo ma- and one trio? There's two th- trios. Two trios. Because I want to break my own rules. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of how I thought about it. They just have... The, both those artists just have a particular ethos about them that I think is so responsive to the entire framework of, oh, yeah. like, what it means to be, like, a minimal setup, mm-hmm. a solo and duo performer across genre. Mm-hmm. I think that's a not a new form of performance, but I think is getting more, it's having more of a focal moment right now. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's important that it does have a focal moment right now. Mm-hmm. And I really want to showcase all this amazing talent mm-hmm. who I've either seen live or listened to their recordings or played with yes. uh, and bring them all together in this one, this one event. So you're creating um, how many bands or how many you know, performers how many artists 38 to 40 nice and then some of them are like troops like the drag troops oh very cool so that's march 1st and 2nd that's a friday saturday saturday friday saturday 2019 friday and saturday march 1st and pre-sale tickets are 12 dollars um yeah so that's that's happening in athens that's worth a trek for you know anyone in atlanta and anyone in nashville i think it's gonna be incredible you've got some artists like Jennifer Vanilla mm-hmm. from uh, New York City. Uh, you know, give me a couple more. A few more. Uh, Rafia, also from New York City. Ripperachi, Atlanta. Shoulders. Atlanta. Again, a three-piece, but has that same ethos. Some Nashville artists like Eve Merritt mm-hmm. and Internet Boyfriend and Dream Chambers and Abstract Black blank oh my gosh there's so many it's Um, gonna be yeah it's a little overwhelming but also super exciting uh what else you know musically like should people be looking out for from you i'm opening for molly nelson miss molly nelson miss molly nelson in uh athens georgia march 5th 2019 and i'm at caledonia lounge and i'm really excited about that i'll also be releasing a music video through wussy magazine some of my friends Gabby, Caleb, Kira, and Sabo all mm-hmm. helped me make it happen. And I feel like there's so many good things happening right now. I know I'm going on tour yes. um, in May on the West Coast and then June down south. So awesome. I'm really excited about that. Well, I'm excited to be present personally at most of these functions. So <laughs> very, very stoked. I sure Ryan, you're my biggest fan. I you really am. <laughs> I really, really appreciate Uh, it. So, yeah, this has been an excellent interview. And thank you for sharing your lived experience and your insight and wisdom with me. Oh, you're so welcome. I guess I just want to ask you, like, 
kind of what's on your mind? I really want to be represented by a label, <laughs> like a, <laughs> a big one, <laughs> like Mexican Summer or Upset the Rhythm, please, <laughs> or something. There's that validation aspect, uh, but also just I know that I hate next that. That's level. like the next. That's like, do you have last thoughts? You gotta say it, and you gotta speak. You gotta speak things aloud that you want to manifest. So. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we're doing a lot of manifesting in yeah. this interview of the future that we want to see for our communities here in the greater Southeast United States. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, Athens, Atlanta, Nashville, we're all very connected. And yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm just, I'm grateful for the people that are putting in that work. Yeah, me too. This has been an interview with Lambda Celsius, currently Athens-based, multi-dimensional persona, artist, creator, multi-medium, just all over the map now, festival promoter. Uh, Look out for them and everything that they are doing because it is not only their personal work, but an amazing curation of community. So thank you. This has been Lambda Celsius, and I don't know what else to say, but this is my signing off. You should listen to my record. It's on Spotify. Add it to a playlist. Add it to a playlist. Trying to get over a thousand streams. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This has been Everything Nice. Peace. Bye.